You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. It's good to be together. You probably are aware that we have been looking through uh, some of the letters of Paul. Yesterday we finished Galatians, and today we are starting Ephesians. So normally uh, I would try to preach from what we have been reading, but this morning I'm going to deviate from that a little bit. We are going to stay in Paul, but we are going to be looking at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, a couple of verses from chapter 8, and a couple of verses from chapter 9. So in a moment I'm going to pray and then we are going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 to 7. Spend a little bit of time talking about that and then we're going to jump and read a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And what we're going to talk about today is actually something that we almost never talk about at Living Word. And it's actually one of the things that I love to talk about the most but I can't even remember the last time we had a sermon on it. And what we are going to talk about today is giving. There's a lot of ways that we as Christians give, but this morning we are going to specifically talk about financial giving. Now I realize there is a stream of the church, particularly in this country, uh, that it seems like that's all they can talk about. I know years ago when I would dip into some televangelists, I would uh, notice that there were a few preachers that whatever Sunday it was, whatever passage of scripture they were preaching from, the message always boiled down to give money. And I thought, isn't that amazing that as diverse and broad as the Bible is, that seemed to be the theme that they always landed on. So in my 32 years at Living Word, I can only remember maybe once or twice that we actually have had a sermon on financial giving. And so, to be honest with you, I feel a little strange. Uh, Like I say, talking about finances, talking about money, trying to get a biblical perspective on these things is actually one of the things that I love to talk about the most. Uh, We did a class on it a couple years ago on stewardship. I've taught about it in Peru. Uh, Seema and I have tried to live it out in our own personal life and in our marriage. So forgive me if I seem a little out of sorts, because I'm not used to speaking on this. But it is something that the scriptures bring up. And it is something that we as elders have talked about for the last month and prayed about. And we really believe that it is appropriate for us to take this Sunday uh, to talk with you about it. So let me uh, pray. And then as I say, we'll read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verses 1 to 7. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you are a good God. And you are good to us in so many different ways. And as Ted just reminded us, one of the ways that you are good to us is through your word and the ways that you speak to us through your word. And so I pray right now, Lord, that it really would be you who is speaking to us and that you would do it through the verses that we are going to read together today. Father, we thank you that you are Lord of everything, that you are Lord of every aspect, of every component, of every detail of our lives. And this morning, we are going to be reminded that you are Lord of our money. 
You are Lord of our bank accounts. You are Lord of our salaries. You are Lord of what we spend and what we save and what we give. You are Lord of all of it. And so, Father, in everything that we do, we want to give you glory. And so what we do with our money, we want it to glorify you. We don't want it to be about us. We want it to be about you. And so we pray now, Lord, as we consider just a couple of principles that you give us in the scriptures about money, about finances, about giving, that, Lord, more than anything else, we would catch your heart. We would know your heart. Because, Father, that's all that matters. How you see something. What you think about something. That's all that matters. And so we pray now, Lord, that you would be speaking. And we pray now, Lord, that we would be attentive. And we ask these things, Jesus, in your name alone. Amen. I never have looked it up, but years ago, someone told me that in the Gospels, Jesus actually talks more about money than he talks about faith. Now, again, that's probably a little contrived because they were probably actually thinking, how many times does Jesus use the word faith? And he does use it, of course. But I think that that probably, without me checking it, is probably roughly true. Jesus actually, when you start to think about it, he talks a lot about money. I remember years ago as well, Billy Graham said that if someone tells you they are spiritual, ask them to show you their checkbook. Now, of course, most of us don't use checkbooks the way we used to, but the point that Billy Graham was making is if someone tells you that they are spiritual, one of the real tests of that is what are they doing with their money? What are they doing with their money? Now, Jesus, when he talked about giving, he said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So there is a, a personal aspect to this type of devotion. And that is another piece of it. But what we want to consider today is why do the scriptures, why does Jesus talk so much about money? And what is it that the New Testament has to say about our giving? So 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 to 7. We're going to read the whole section, then we're going to go back and look at it a little bit verse by verse. It says, now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had uh, earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. For just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now just a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul had visited Corinth. 
had planted a church in Corinth. And if you read chapters 8 and 9 in their totality, and I actually encourage you to do that, because all of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 give an incredible look at what the New Testament thinks about finances and about giving, you will see that there is a region of Achaia that is mentioned. The city of Corinth was in the Roman province of Achaia. The first verse that we have here mentions a second Roman province. It's the province of Macedonia. Now, when Paul was writing the church in Corinth that was in the province of Achaia, he was actually writing from the province of Macedonia. Now, there are some cities that were in ancient Macedonia that you are probably familiar with. Thessalonica was in Macedonia, thus we have Thessalonians. Philippi was in Macedonia. Berea, be a Berean. Berea was in Macedonia. So when Paul is mentioning the Roman province of Macedonia, he's mentioning a region in which he had planted churches. But the church of Corinth was in a different province. The church of Corinth was in the province of Achaia. If you read the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he mentions that. Now as Paul had been preaching and planting churches and traveling around, he had been taking up a financial collection. He had been taking up an offering. And we see this in many of the letters that he wrote. And so he was giving the churches an opportunity to give to this financial collection. And what he was ultimately going to do with it, he was, he was going to take it back to Jerusalem, and he was going to give it to the believers that were in need in Judea, another Roman province at that time. So what he is talking about in these verses is that collection. He's talking about this financial offering that he and others are taking up from the churches in Macedonia, in Achaia, in other regions that he and others are going to take back with them to Jerusalem and the surrounding regions to give to the saints who are in need there. That's the context. So now let's look a little bit more specifically at what he says in these verses we just read. He says, now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The grace that God has given to the churches in Macedonia. You see, the churches in Macedonia had received the gospel of grace. Paul had planted a church in Thessalonica. Paul had planted a church in Philippi. Paul had preached the gospel in Berea. He had been to Troas as well. The cities had received the gospel of grace. And churches had been planted in these cities. Now what Paul is saying in verse 1 is that there was evidence that the grace of God was at work. There was evidence that the grace of God had been received. And that evidence was that these churches were giving financially. That was one of the evidences that the grace of God was at work. They were giving financially. I want you to know that the grace of God is at work in the churches of Macedonia. So the first thing that we need to understand is giving financially to the work of the kingdom of God is actually a manifestation of the grace of God. It's a manifestation of the grace of God. 
Every time we give to a kingdom need, every time we give to the people of God, to the needs of the kingdom, we are manifesting the grace of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. And it's so important that we keep that in mind. Giving financially is a manifestation of the grace of God. Verse 2. It says, out of the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up to rich generosity. So Paul has a pair of absolute contradictions here. Extreme trial led to overflowing joy. Extreme poverty led to overflowing generosity. Two pairs that we would not think would ever go together. Trials producing joy. Poverty producing generosity. But you see, when we look at what the Bible has to say about finances, like everything else, the Bible turns what the world has to say about money completely on its head. The Bible absolutely takes everything that you will hear out there about finances, about money, and will absolutely turn it on its head. Because one of the things that makes sense is that you can only give out of your abundance. You know, there are wealthy Christians that are called upon to give significantly to the needs of the kingdom. Once I have enough money, then I will be able to give generously. Well, the problem is the Macedonian churches. It says, out of the depth of their poverty. Generosity overflowed. You know, I'm reminded of a woman at the temple in the time of Jesus' ministry. Absolutely impoverished. And she gave everything she had to the Lord. And what did Jesus say about that? She has given more than everyone else. You see, generosity is not a dollar figure. Generosity is not even... I would say, a tangible amount. Generosity is an issue of the heart. And the Macedonian churches, in affliction, joy overflowed. In affliction, joy overflowed. And in their deep poverty, Paul actually uses a word there that means incredibly, incredibly deep. In their deep Poverty, generosity overflowed. So for some of us in the back of our mind, we're saying, well, when I get enough, then I'll start to give generously. When I just get over this hump, then I'll start to give generously. When I cross this line or pay this debt or whatever, and again, we don't have time. I mean, this is a series. But one of the principles that we need to remember is what you have is not a qualification for being generous. If you have very little, you can still be incredibly generous. In deep poverty, generosity overflowed. Picking it up in verse 3. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I don't even know what that means. But Paul is absolutely astounded that not only did they give what they were able to give, but they gave beyond even that. That was the work of God's grace in the hearts of the folks in the Macedonian churches at this time. There was something that was reasonable. There was something that would have been a nice offering. And Paul says not only did they give what they were able, but they gave beyond that. You know, these are some verses that probably some of us wish were not in our New Testament. Because the challenge that is being put in front of us is absolutely unmistakable. And it's hitting something that, for some of us, is more dear than we want to admit, which is our bank account. It's hitting our finances. You know, as much as we want to say, hey, money has no hold on me, I don't live for money, I live for the kingdom, you know, to a certain extent, for most of us, money has a measure of hold on our heart. And one of the clearest manifestations of the work of God's grace in our life is that it no longer has a hold on our heart. That's what we are aspiring to. And so this, these incredibly poor churches, out of the depth of their poverty, generosity overflowed. And not only did they give as they were able, they gave beyond that. They gave beyond that. And the Apostle Paul, who had seen a lot of things, was amazed. I testify, is what he says. Then the last phrase of verse 3, entirely on their own. Now here is the challenge that we as leaders face when teaching on this. Because what the New Testament clearly teaches is, this is up to you. It's absolutely up to you. They did this entirely and completely on their own. You know, it may be hard for you to believe, but there's only one person in this congregation that knows what each of you gives, and it's not the elders. It's the woman who handles our finances. She's the only one that knows what each of you gives. Because this is completely up to you and up to the Lord. So the challenge is we need to teach this because it's in the New Testament. But as we teach it, we want to teach what the New Testament teaches, which is to be incredibly generous. But that is not something that needs to be done out of compulsion, out of manipulation, out of guilt. It is something that each one of us, myself included, we need to do it freely. And we're going to get to that verse in a couple of minutes. So I think what has happened a lot of times when I've heard preachers in the past teach about giving is it seems to become manipulation. It seems to become coercion. It seems to become something that the New Testament doesn't want it to be. And yet, the clear expectation of Jesus, the clear expectation of Paul, the clear expectation of the New Testament is that we will be unbelievably generous. Not because a pastor is coercing you or not because you are feeling guilty, but because it's what the Spirit of the Lord himself has stirred in you. Remember, giving is evidence of the work of the grace 
of God. And that's why for the most part, at Living Word, we haven't preached this sermon. We haven't talked about this much. We are not a church that browbeats you about giving. In fact, we don't even pass an offering bucket. And as elders, we realize we barely even mention there's a tithe and offering box in the back. If you don't know, there is. There's a tithe and offering box in the back. So we are not a congregation, I don't believe, and we are not a leadership team, I don't believe, that browbeats this topic. But we felt like it was appropriate to teach on this today. And that's why we are doing it. But the real challenge that we have as believers is to know that ultimately we do this freely. We do this freely. We are generous not because we have to be. We are generous not because we'll feel guilty if we don't. We're generous not because someone is forcing us to. We are generous because we want to be. Because it's an evidence of the grace of God in our lives. One of my favorite, favorite tasks as an elder is to give the money that you give to us to other people. It's one of my greatest joys. To give the money that you have given to us to other people. It's one of my greatest joys. Pastor Ramon, Hermana Teresa, they were here a couple weeks ago. You heard. We've supported their ministry for decades. You have supported their ministry for decades. I get to write the check. I get to put the cash in his hand. That's my blessing. But you are part of that. Pastor Sam in India, and, and, and the list goes on. The work in Haiti, the work in Mexico, the work in the Dominican Republic, the work in closed countries. You are part of that. You are part of that. One of my greatest, greatest privileges is to take what you have freely given to us and to distribute it to others. Let's continue. Verse 4, you think it's hard? Verse 4 gets even harder. Look at, just look at what verse 4 says. Look at what verse 4 says. They urgently pleaded with us. They begged us. They got on their knees and wrung their hands and said, please, 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 Paul, let us give. That's what it says. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. How do you even describe that? Giving is a privilege. It is a privilege that has been given to us as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not a chore. It's not a burden. It's not an unpleasant task. These poor Macedonian churches heard of a need in Judea and they pleaded with Paul. They pleaded with Paul. Paul, please, let us give to this need. It's a blessing. 
it's a privilege, it's an honor to be able to freely give to the work of the kingdom. I don't hear that in the world. I hear the world saying, I earned it, it's mine, I can do with it what I want. The bigger the car, the bigger the house, the more the bling, the fancier the clothes, the nicer the dinner, the better the vacation, the more that I can put on social media to show everyone I'm living the life. Well, of course, as we said a minute ago, all the Bible does is completely blow that up and say exactly the opposite. The greatest privilege that you have is not spending what you make on yourself. The greatest privilege that you have is to take what you make and give it away. That's the greatest privilege. That is the greatest privilege. Years ago, we were doing a series by John Maxwell. Actually, uh, Buck uh, Sharp was leading us in this. And John Maxwell told a story that there was a wealthy, wealthy Christian businessman who had given away, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to the work of the kingdom. And later in his life, he had a financial catastrophe. And he ended up having to declare personal bankruptcy, an incredibly shameful and embarrassing thing, and was ultimately impoverished. And he was doing an interview, John Maxwell tells the story, he was doing an interview and the interviewer asked him, you know, now that you are, are, are bankrupt, now that you've had to declare personal bankruptcy and now that you are impoverished, do you wish that you had given less money away? You know, all of those tens of thousands of dollars that you gave away to the work of the kingdom, now that you have nothing, do you wish that you had given less? And of course, the interviewer is expecting him to say, yeah, it probably would have been better had I given less. But you know what he said? He said, no. Actually, I wish I had given more. Because all the money I kept for myself, that's what I lost. The only money I didn't lose was what I gave away. Now, this is just not some guy talking in theory. This was a guy in personal bankruptcy wishing he had given more. That's kingdom finances. Taking what you earn, taking what you make, and spending it on yourself is what the world does. Taking what you earn, taking what you make, and giving it away, that is what followers of Jesus do. That is what followers of Jesus do. They pleaded with Paul, let us give to this offering. Verse 5. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You see, and here is such an absolutely key principle. The measure of finances that you give away is actually one of the reflections of how much you have given yourself to the Lord. I'm not saying that. That's what the scriptures say. This is what Billy Graham was getting at. One of the reflections of how much you have given yourself to the Lord is how much money you are giving away. That's exactly what it says. Apostle Paul says, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us 
in keeping with God's will. So, again, this is between you and the Lord. But as you look at your personal finances, as you look at your income and expenses, that is one of the ways the Lord shows us how much we have given ourselves to the Lord. You know, one other thing, I didn't look it up, I apologize, we just got through reading Deuteronomy not long ago. You know, I think it's in Deuteronomy 7 or Deuteronomy 9, Israel's on the brink of taking possession of the promised land, and Moses is giving his final speech. It's his, it's his, it's his last will and testament, he's got a chance to actually deliver it in person. And he says, look, you know, when you get into the promised land, something's going to happen. I'm giving you a good land. It's an abundant land. You're going to have a lot of prosperity. You're going to have a lot of crops. You're going to have great herds. You're going to have a lot of wealth in terms of the ancient world. You know, if someone offered you 100 goats today, you'd probably be like, I don't want that. But in the ancient world, I'd be like, wow, thank you. I'd love 100 goats. And he says, you know, there's going to be an attitude that's going to creep into your heart at that point. You're going to think... It was your strength that gained that financial prosperity for you. But it's not. It's me, says the Lord. Whatever you have in your bank account, it's only there because God gave you the ability to put it there. Whatever your paycheck is, you only have it because God gave you the ability to earn it. Whether it's education, whether it's talent, whether it's connections, whether it's relationship, whatever it is that's putting money into your pocket, putting money into your account, you only have that because God gave it to you. That's it. That's it. Did you have access to education? God gave that to you. Were you gifted in certain areas? God gave that to you. Did you have the right connections to get the right job? God gave that to you. Whatever power, whatever ability, whatever training you have received that gives you the ability to earn money, it's because God gave it to you. And, of course, it's not today's message, but I can't help but say it. You know, and that money's his. You know, your name may be on the bank account. Your name may be on the paycheck. Your name may be on the deed to your house. Your name may be on the title for your car. But, you know, it's his. We don't own anything. We are stewards. God, in his incredible generosity, says, hey, look, I own everything. It's all mine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all God's. He created the universe. We didn't. But out of his incredible generosity as a father who loves us so much, he says, you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to let you for a little while take care of some of my stuff. For a little while, I'm going to let you take care of some of my stuff. So I'm going to let you take care of a place to live. I'm going to let you take care of some clothes. I'm going to let you take care of some food. I'm going to let you take care of some money. But don't ever forget, it's mine. I'm just a good dad who's letting you be a steward of some stuff. So it's all his. So a great reminder, whenever we see our name on something, whenever we see our name on a bank account or our name on a title of ownership, is just cross that out and put Jesus. Jesus is yours. It's yours. Help me to do with your stuff what you want me to. Imagine your house sitting. Imagine your dog sitting. Imagine your whatever. That's the way we should look at our possessions. It's all his. It always was. It always will be. God wants us to be faithful as stewards, not as owners. Okay? 
So verse 5. A reflection of how much we have given ourselves to the Lord is how much money we give away. It's just what the scriptures say. It's just what the scriptures say. Let's jump down to verse 7 because time is going quickly as it always does. Guys always chew up the time whenever I preach. Why do you do that? You guys are quiet this morning too. I don't know why. I thought this was a really easy, pleasant message. Full of laughter, full of joy. Verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Here is another absolutely unshakable key to biblical finances. You are abounding in love. You are abounding in faith. You are abounding in the word. You are abounding in earnestness. Why? Because Christ has lavishly poured these things into you, into your life, into your heart. So the Apostle Paul makes this abbreviated list of just all the ways that we as believers in Jesus Christ are flourishing. Our sins have been forgiven. We've received eternal life. The Son of God himself died on a cross for us. The last verse of this section. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's the last verse of 2 Corinthians 9. When you look at what you have received from God, it's beyond human comprehension. The generosity of God, the superabundance of God that has just been, been poured into your life. Ephesians chapter 1, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. God has held nothing back. Your life is indescribably abundant in every way. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is, all that we are asking of you is let your financial giving match what Jesus has done for you. Let your financial giving match what Jesus Christ has done for you. So are we stingy with our finances? Well, if we are, then that's saying Jesus has been stingy with us. If we're doing the minimum with our finances, then what that's saying is Jesus has done the minimum with us. But if we are being extravagant and generous with our finances, what that is saying is Jesus has been extravagant and generous with us. This is why we as Christians give. Because we have so freely and abundantly and excessively received. And so all we are doing is imitating our Father. All we are doing is trying to reflect in one of many ways the incredible grace that has been poured into our lives. So when we give generously, when we give beyond what's expected, all we're saying is this is how Christ has given to me. And we're understanding that. And we're acknowledging that. And it's one of the ways that we put that on display. Okay? Well, we could read all the verses, but we don't have time for that, and I'm not sure we could handle that anyways. So let's jump to chapter 9. Chapter 9, we're going to read verses 6 to 9. It says, remember this, 
whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered his, excuse me, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So verse 6 is simply a repetition of a principle that is repeated frequently in scripture. You reap what you sow. Now, we are not an agricultural society, so sometimes that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. What it basically means is whatever seeds you plant, that's the tree or the bush or the plant that you get. In the ancient world, everyone would have understood that. Everyone was planting stuff. Everyone was harvesting stuff. Well, there is a spiritual principle that says whatever you plant, that's in turn what you harvest. And Paul just basically gives two options. You plant a little bit, you plant sparingly, you get a little bit. You know, I plant a couple of, 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 of cumin seeds and I get a little bit of cumin. But if you plant extravagantly, if I buy 100 acres and plant 100 acres of, of sweet corn, I'm going to get an extravagant, abundant harvest of sweet corn. I'm going to get 100 acres of sweet corn. And, you know, look at even how seeds work. Because right there is the kingdom of God. I plant one kernel of corn, and I get a stalk that produces ears of corn that has multiple kernels on it. God is a God of multiplication. It's right, it's right there in the plant kingdom. Right when he created plants on the third day, he said, I am embedding in the principle of how seeds and plants work the principle of my kingdom. You plant a couple of apple seeds, you get an apple tree. That apple tree, for hundreds of years even, can produce Tens of thousands of apples, and each one of those apples has five or six apple seeds themselves. That's the principle that Paul says here. But it's true in what we give to the Lord. Now look, today we're talking about money. But how you give yourself to the Lord with your time, how you give yourself to the Lord with devotion, how you give yourself to the Lord in service to others, these are all exactly the same. Today we're talking about money. How you give yourself to the Lord in the finances that you give. Because that's what Paul is talking about. In chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, the issue is money. And so what he says in verse 6 of chapter 9 is exactly what has been repeated in other ways in Scripture. You reap what you sow. If you sow generously, you are going to reap extravagantly. If you give beyond what is expected, if you give beyond your means... Not only did the Macedonian churches do what they were able to do, they gave more than that. Then you're going to reap. You're going to gather. You're going to receive far more than that. And remember, even before you started giving, God gave infinitely more to you. But again, it's so important that we emphasize verse 7. Each one of you do as you have decided in your heart. And that's what's so hard, because a lot of us are going to walk away from this message saying, wow, Dave was really browbeating us, telling us to give more. 
And I know it sounds completely contradictory. That's not what I'm preaching because that's not what the New Testament preaches. Each one of you has to do what God has put in your heart to do. We preach this message on generosity, on giving extravagantly, on giving excessively, because that's what the New Testament says we as believers should be doing. That's absolutely what we should be doing. But you have to give as the Lord has put in your heart to give. And look at the next two qualifications. Not reluctantly. Don't give reluctantly. It doesn't honor the Lord. And don't give out of compulsion. Don't give out of manipulation. Don't give because you feel like someone is forcing you to. That doesn't honor the Lord. It never has and it never will. And so here was the real challenge I was wrestling with these last couple of weeks because we had decided I was going to preach this message today. Lord, how do I put in front of your people the incredible challenge to be as generous as we possibly can and yet still make it clear that it's completely up to them and you to decide what they give? Not an easy sermon. (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'm missing the mark today, but that is my goal. My goal is to challenge all of us, myself included, and my wife with me, because we share our household finances, to be as generous as we possibly can be. But not because we're being manipulated by a sermon. Not because we're feeling guilty. Because God has just... He's just given us so much. How can Seema and I look at our finances and say most of what God has given me we're spending on ourselves? How can I do that? I can't. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I want to be as generous as I possibly can be, and my wife is the same. And I know that all of you feel the same way. So please, please, please don't hear this as a manipulation, as a coercion, as a guilt trip. We want you to give hilariously. Remember John Hone, he loved that verse. God loves a cheerful giver. He used to say, you know, because the Greek word is hilaros, he used to say God loves a hilarious giver. Titi Naomi and John are up in heaven worshiping the Lord, but Titi Naomi used to sit right there, and every time, at that time, we would pass the offering buckets. You remember that? Her voice would ring out and she'd say, praise the Lord and start cheering and clapping. Why? Because she knew giving was a privilege. It wasn't a burden. It was one of her favorite parts of our time together on Sundays. And that's why she cheered and she clapped. Because she knew giving was a privilege. And we know Titi Naomi was not a wealthy woman. And I imagine when we get to the throne of Jesus, she will have outgiven all of us. Not in dollar amount, but in generosity. I think she probably would have outgiven all of us. I mean, she's in heaven, so it doesn't matter. I think she gave about 50, 60, 70% of her income away. I'm not 100% sure of that, but I'm pretty sure that's what she did. Because she understood this. And she understood, how how could I ever outgive God? How could I ever give more? than what he's given to me. I can't do it. I can't do it. I could give every dollar I ever have made and will make, and I haven't even come close to outgiving God. I haven't even come close to giving God what he has given to me.
So look, take verse 7 absolutely seriously because we as elders, we mean this. We want you to give freely. We want you to give joyfully. We want you to give what the Lord has put on your heart to give. Not reluctantly. Not out of compulsion. But what I can tell you and what all of you have experienced at different times and many of you can continue to experience today, one of the greatest joys of being in the kingdom is giving money away. It just is. It just is. One of the greatest joys in the kingdom is taking some of what God has given to you and giving it to someone else. It's what the scriptures say. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's just the way finances work in the kingdom. We're not going to get to it because we're running out of time here. But, you know, the next thing that, that Paul says, oh, well, yeah, let, let's get to it. In verse 8, we've got time, right? What are you guys rushing off to? To spend your money on lunch. You're going to spend God's money on lunch. Don't do that. You know, and just to say that all of your money is God's money, but God doesn't say that you're not allowed to spend some of it on things that you enjoy. Of course you are. And what we're going to get to in a couple minutes is sort of the, the brass tacks of it, 10%, 20%, 30%, because that's obviously a question that we as New Testament believers ask ourselves. But I say that completely jokingly, because of course God doesn't say don't ever go out to eat. God doesn't say don't ever, you know, but, but anyway. That's why this is actually about 10 sermons, not one, but we're squeezing it into one. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Here is one of the most effective lies of the enemy. If I give too much away, I won't have enough for myself. That is not the Lord. If you ever have that thought, that is 100% the voice of the devil. If I give too much away, I won't have enough for myself. Let's read verse 8 again. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Giving takes faith. Because what makes sense is hold on to it. Save it. Don't give it all away. Because if you do that, who's going to take care of me? Well, of course, you know the answer to that. God will. When you give, you are putting God to the test in a good way. This is what Malachi, the prophet Malachi said. He said, test me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouses and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour extravagantly into your life. Which one of us can honestly say, I gave extravagantly, I gave abundantly, and later God didn't take care of me? Who can say that? It's impossible to say. It's impossible to say. Because the scriptures absolutely declare that if we give extravagantly, if we give abundantly, what we are absolutely declaring is that I know God is more than able to take care of me. It takes faith. It takes faith. Now again, obviously, I'm not saying be foolish. 
Like I say, this is one message in a whole series of messages about finances that we could have. I'm not saying be foolish. But I'm also saying don't worry about God taking care of you. He will. You know, Pastor Buck used to say something when Living Word used to hit seasons of financial difficulty in the past. He said, well, you know what? We need to give more. We're having some financial trouble right now. We need to give more, so let's give more. That's what he used to say. Ted, I'm sure you remember that. He said, we need to give more. And that's part of how God will get us out of this financial difficulty. We need to give more. So, again, I know it's a wrestling match. Seema and I face it regularly. But, Lord, if we give this much, then how will this get taken care of? And, Lord, if we do this, then how will that get taken care of? But just go back to verse 8. If we give generously, if we give abundantly, if we give excessively, God is able at all times, in every way, in all circumstances, to let his grace abound in us. That's what he promises. Okay? I would encourage you to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 in their totality, because there is a lot more there. But I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Because a question that oftentimes comes up is, what about the tithe? What about the tithe? For those of you who are familiar with the word, you probably realize that tithe just simply means tenth. It means one-tenth. So a tithe of $100 is $10. A tithe of $10,000 is $1,000. It's a term that's used biblically because in the Old Testament, part of what the people of God were to regularly bring to the Lord was a tithe. We don't even completely understand how it worked because Deuteronomy, you probably saw it there, spoke of a third-year tithe. We don't know was that in addition to the regular annual tithe. So, but tithing was one aspect of giving. But then there were also free will offerings and sin offerings and guilt offerings and fellowship offerings in addition to the tithe. But tithing, giving a tenth of your sheep, of your goats, of your grain, of your barley, of all of that, that was part of how the Old Testament believer was expected to give to the work of the Lord. And of course, remember, in the Old Testament, the Levites did not get any share in the land. Their share was the Lord himself. So part of the offerings, part of the tithe that was given to the Lord actually was the meal for the Levites and their families. And again, just remember how much you saw that in Deuteronomy. And when the Lord blesses you, invite everyone. Invite everyone to the gate. Invite the stranger. Invite the poor folks. Invite the Levites and share with them your abundance. Have a feast. Have a party. Enjoy the good things the Lord has given you and share it with as many people as you can. So the question becomes, is tithing something that is expected of me now that Christ has come? Well, here's my answer. No and yes. No, because I do not believe the New Testament teaches the tithe the way the Old Testament did. There's only two passages in the New Testament that use the word tithe. The parable that Jesus tells about the sinner who goes into the temple and the Pharisee who says how great he is, I pray twice a week and I fast twice a week and I tithe. That's one of the places. The other is when Jesus is indicting the Pharisees saying, you know, you tithe your mint and dill and your cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law. So I do not believe that giving a tenth is a New Testament expectation in the same way it was in the Old Testament. Now a lot of you are saying, yeah, that's great. I don't have to pay a tenth and feel, or not pay a tenth and feel guilty about it. But Here's the yes part. The reason why I don't believe it's a New Testament expectation anymore is because I am absolutely 100% convinced God expects us to give way more than a tenth. 
I absolutely am convinced he expects us to give way more than a tenth. Freely, cheerfully. I don't see you guys smiling. Freely, cheerfully, joyfully. I believe why Jesus and the apostles don't emphasize the tithe is because they would say, really? Shouldn't we be giving God far more than that? Shouldn't we be doing far more than that? Do you think when the Macedonians gave, it was 10%? I don't think so. They gave not what was expected, but excessively beyond what was expected. We can ask those Macedonian Christians when we see them in heaven, hey, when Paul talked about that contribution to the offering made, did you give 10%? They're going to be like, what are you talking about? No, of course not. So it's not a New Testament obligation the way it was in the Old Testament. But if your immediate reaction is, great, I don't have to tithe, then you've completely misunderstood this whole message. It's not a New Testament expectation the way it was in the Old is because I just believe God expects us to give so much more. So let me get a little practical here. If you don't tithe, it's a great place to start. If you do not give 10% of your income to the work of the Lord, I would say it's a great place to start. Start tithing. Just do it. And if you do tithe, I would simply say, is the Lord challenging you to give more? And if you do tithe and regularly give more, I would say, is the Lord challenging us to do even more than that? Because when can we ever, ever, ever say, okay, Lord, I've given enough. I've given enough. I, I haven't reached that point in my Christian life yet. <laughs> I haven't reached that point where Jesus looks at me and says, okay, you've given enough money, Dave. Sima, you've given enough money. You don't need to give me any more. I haven't reached that point yet. So if you don't tithe, I would say, hey, today's a great Great day to start. You know, we don't announce it much, but Carl's leaning on it. We have a tithe and offering box in the back. You're more than welcome to make your check out to LWC and drop it in there. I would say today is a great day to start tithing. If you do tithe, thank you so much. And I would encourage you to say, hey, can I give more? And if you do tithe and give offerings regularly, I would encourage you to say, hey, can I give even more than that? Again, I know this sounds so self-contradictory. Not because you feel guilty because I'm preaching on this. But because you're saying, wow, giving is a privilege. Giving is a manifestation of the grace of God in my life. As faith has abounded, as grace has abounded, as knowledge has abounded, as his word has abounded in my life, I want to reflect that by extravagantly giving the money that he's given to me to the work of the kingdom. So, again, I don't believe we're obligated to tithe the way the Old Testament believer was. But I think tithing is a great place to start. I think it's an incredible spiritual discipline. I think it's like praying. I think it's like reading the Word. You know, do you pray every day? Do you read the Word every day? I mean, I don't, I don't see a passage of Scripture that tells us how much should you pray each day. I don't, I don't see that passage of Scripture. Well, the word, actually, I see you're supposed to meditate on a day and night. So you literally you're supposed to be in the word 24 hours a day. So in other words, don't get all weirded out if all of a sudden that, that anchor line of 10% is maybe taken away. 
Because when we look at other spiritual disciplines, we don't have that level of precision in the New Testament. Because I think what the expectation is, is you pray as much as you can. You read the word as much as you can. You serve as much as you can. You love as much as you can. You know, how much do you love your husband or your wife or your children or your parents? And then you say, okay, I've loved them enough. You see, so money is really no different than anything else in the kingdom. We give as much as we can. Just like we do all of those other things as much as we can. Okay? Now, let me get into some specifics about living word. First of all, over the years, if anyone has ever asked me in 100% honesty and clear conscience, I can always, always, always say living word is an incredibly generous congregation. I have said that repeatedly about you, and in all sincerity, I mean it. You folks are incredibly generous. You know, I think of all of those years that we've done the Missionary Christmas Bazaar and the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that have come in in the month of December each year to support the work of God in other places. You guys give extravagantly. You guys give abundantly to that need. During COVID, tens of thousands of dollars came in simply to meet the needs of those who were feeling the pinch of COVID. I had the privilege of giving away tens of thousands of dollars to families and to folks that we knew that were financially hurting because of COVID. Some of you received that, a lot of you gave to that. So I wanna make sure you guys understand as, as one of the elders of this community, I am absolutely convinced you are an incredibly generous community. And even though I don't look at the, the brass tacks, like I say, only our administrator sees that, as a community, as a whole, you guys are incredibly generous. So thank you. Thank you. It honors the Lord. Now, the not so good news, because you knew this was not just a coincidental sermon. The last couple of years, our regular giving has decreased dramatically. Part of that is due to COVID. Part of that is due to some other circumstances. But for about the last two to three years, not the special money that comes in. So all of the money that was given for Missionary Bazaar, we've given that 100% to the missionaries that were designated. The money that came in for COVID, we gave that to specific needs that arose as a result of the pandemic. So I'm not talking about that, but just in terms of the general money that comes in undesignated, that's what we call it, undesignated offerings. The tithes and the offerings that you put in the box or mail in or whatever, that over the last couple of years has decreased significantly. The other side of it is what we are doing, what we are giving in terms of bottom line financial commitments, that has not. <laughs> so obviously you know the problem. If you make $1,000 and you're giving away $1,500, pretty soon you're going to be in trouble. So for the last couple of years, we have continued to give at the rate that we have been giving, but we are now at the point where we can no longer do that. There was a pretty significant buffer Edith is phenomenal with the finances, so we had a very, very significant sort of like 
aspect of our day-to-day -day checking account that we could draw on regularly if we had a shortfall in any given month. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't just a shortfall any given month. It's been a shortfall now for about the last two to three years. So that's about 24 to 36 months we've been having a shortfall. So that gap that we have is, it's gone. It's gone. Edith is uh, amazing with the finances. We as elders are looking at the budget. We're looking at what we spend. Here's the challenge. The majority of what you give us, we actually give to people. Whether it's the folks who are ministering here in your, your midst, myself included, so the salaries of folks who are ministering full-time at Living Word and part-time for those who are ministering part-time here, others that we support regularly who have devoted their lives to ministry or devoting their lives to ministry right now, benevolence needs that we see. I think about 80% or more of what you give us goes to people. That's, that's just, just so you know, that's what happens for most of the money that you give us. Of course, we pay electricity, we pay gas, we pay water, Insurance every year, that's a big, big nut. We've got to still rent the parking lot. Don't tell anyone we rent it, but we don't own it. They won't sell it to us. That's a big nut as well. So, but the majority of what you give us, we give to people. Whether it's the missionaries, whether it's those who are ministering full-time here at Living Word, or other needs that we see in the kingdom. That's the majority of what we do. So we're at the point right now where we can't give to people the way we have. Because it's just not there. It's just not there. So we've looked and looked and looked. You know, we're going to get rid of the copier because the copier is about a $5,000 a year contract. You know, we can go to Staples and buy a $300 printer. We don't print that much. I mean, most of these guys don't even like paper anymore. Carl's going to look into, you know, reducing one of our phone lines. We still have two landlines. One is more than enough. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's not going to make up the difference. It's going to help. And Edith is phenomenal. Over the years, if Edith have ever, ever, ever seen something that we could do without, that would save us financially, she has done it. She has done it. And here's the crazy thing, for the 30 years that I've been in ministry at Living Word, finances has never been an issue. I'll be honest with you, I almost never talked to Edith about finances, because it's just, it's never been an issue. So these last six months have been really weird, because all of a sudden now Edith and I and, and the elders were talking about money, and we're like, hey, wait a second, we don't have as much money as we used to have. We can't give the way we used to give. And we've never, we've never crossed this bridge before at this point. So, what we believe is that with the folks that the Lord has given us right now, there are the financial resources to get back on solid footing. We believe that. We believe that. We believe based on who we are as a community and based on what we spend and who we give to, we believe that there are, in fact, the financial resources within the community not to have to dramatically diminish what we give people. We believe that. But we now have to see that. So that's where it comes on you. Now, again, we're making you aware of this need just to do that, just to make you aware of the need. You know, we don't normally talk about finances. This is the first sermon on giving I've ever given here. We don't normally talk about this. But as elders, we finally decided, hey, we need to let the congregation know. We need to let the congregation know that that buffer that we had is basically down to zero. And at this point, we cannot give to folks the way we have been. And we're trusting the Lord to provide for that. So if it comes from you folks, praise God. So it's not just that we need a one-time, because that's great. But we need an increased ongoing. 
because that's going to get us over the hump. But one of the things that we as elders will not do is continue to run at a negative each month. We've done that with the buffer that we've had the last couple of years, but we will not do that anymore. And so then what that ultimately means is that we will have to stop, start giving less to people. And gosh, I hate that. I hate that. I don't want to do that, and none of the elders do. But if that simply is the state of affairs that we're in, then that's the state of affairs we're in. But what I'm, what I'm really almost, almost completely sure of is that you guys are going to rise to the challenge and we're going to be okay. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't say 100% the Lord gave that to me in a word or in a dream and a vision, but I, I'm almost convinced that's the case. Why? Because I feel like even though some of this stuff maybe was like, wow, that's, that's a little unpleasant, I feel like almost all of you have said amen. Not out loud, because you've been really quiet today, but I feel like in your hearts almost all of you have said yes. This is right. This is right. So that's why I was preaching the sermon today. You probably knew it wasn't just because I felt like it. We wanted to put the need in front of you. And we want to continue to be able to give as a community to folks as generously as we have. But for that to be the case, we have to give to Living Word more generously than we have for the last couple of years. That's, that's just the bottom line. So, let me just conclude by emphasizing this one more time. As elders, we want you to give with joy. We don't want you to do this reluctantly. We don't want you to do this hesitatingly. We don't want you to do this out of manipulation or out of guilt. We want you to give cheerfully. We want you to give freely. We want you to give as the Lord has given to you. And we believe as a community that as each one of us and as each household and as each person who would call Living Word their church, as each one of us, elders included, endeavor to do that, we are absolutely convinced that God is going to provide for us and that we're going to be able to continue to support the folks who minister here full-time in your midst, as well as those who are in need in our community here, as well as those who are in need in other places. We really believe that. We really believe that. But do it because you want to. Do it because it's a privilege. Do it because it's a gift and it's a work of God's grace in your life. Each one of us, when we stand before the Lord, we'll never, ever, ever be able to say, Lord, I gave too much to you. <laughs> it just won't happen. And one of the greatest joys that we know as followers of Jesus is to be able to take the money that he's given to us and give it to somebody else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for giving us this time together in your word. And Lord, we realize that the principles of giving that you establish for us in the scriptures are not at all what we would expect to hear in the world. Not at all maybe even what we wrestle with on a daily basis. But Father, we thank you that you have just been unimaginably generous with us. And we can't even begin to quantify just how much, how much 
you have given us. And Father, even as I pray that, I do want to thank you so much for the generosity of this congregation because, Lord, I honestly believe that the recent shortfall these last couple years is not indicative of this congregation not being generous because I believe, Lord God, they have been generous. And so I thank you for that. I thank you for that, Lord God. And Father, the truth of it is, for 30 years, almost every ministry I've heard of has had financial issues, and Living Word has not. And I always kind of scratched my head and said, well, Lord, why not? But you've given us an incredible season of not having to consider these things. But Lord, now we're in a different season. And God, now we are called upon to trust you even more. Now we are called upon to put into action the faith that we have in you. You're giving us as an opportunity, Lord God, to be like those Macedonian churches. Not only to give what we are able to give, but to give beyond that. Not only to give what is expected, but to first and foremost give ourselves to you. With the absolute confidence that in every way, at all times, you are more than able to meet our needs. And so, Father, I just pray that not a single person hearing this message would feel reluctant, would feel manipulated, would feel coerced, would feel guilty. Jesus, I just pray that you would completely remove any, any hint of that in any of our hearts, because that is not your heart. Help us to give, Lord God, in accordance with what we have decided. Help us to give cheerfully. Help us to give joyfully. Help us to give abundantly. Help us to give even as you have given to us. And we pray all of this, Jesus, in your name alone. Amen. Thank you.